Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast, presented by Tennis Express. We deliver tennis worldwide right to your front door. And now, here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey guys, Tennis.com podcast here. I'm Ed McGrogan, here with Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner here uh, in Tennis Headquarters. Monday, a gloomy Monday outside. As, High above as, Madison Avenue in Manhattan. Sort of, sort of per usual down here. It's been pretty pretty disheartening lately uh <laughs> weather-wise but uh we are going to chat about last weekend or yesterday's fed cup final and also the men's results um in basel and valencia but um start with the fed cup final which the u.s for the second year in a row lost to italy they they won a match this time they lost three to one and all the singles matches the doubles was not played it was just like last year uh the big it ended with Flavia Panetta beat Coco Vandeweghe, and that's kind of what I want to start at because the big decision made at the beginning of this tie was to slide out Melanie Udan in favor of Vandeweghe, who had never played any Fed Cup final tie. I, when this happened, I kind of I wrote that it just seemed like one of the most incredible uh, scenarios to be put in for someone who hadn't experienced this before. So before we get into the the final as a whole, even though kind of have our own thoughts on it. What 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 did you guys think of this decision originally to put Vandaway in? I thought it was the right move. I mean, you know, look, I mean, look, let's face it, we're, we're a prohibitive underdog, basically. You know, the, I mean, the Italians are a great team, you know, in, in relative terms. And and so what are you going to do, go out with the same old, same old? I think it was, this was the kind of move Shamil Tarpashev, the Russian Fed Master Cup and Davis Mind, Cup yeah. coach, coach might have pulled. He said, look, Vandaway is you look at the records of Vandaway and Udan since the U.S. Open, it's, it's not a lot to choose. In fact, you would choose Vandaway based on, on, on their records. And, you know, uh, you know, she's got a big serve. She could blow people off the court. She goes, you, you roll the dice and say, look, if this girl catches fire, and, and I believe this to be true, and I think it's going to be true for years to come as long as she keeps playing. I mean, I don't care where she's ranked. If this girl puts it together, whether it's for one match or for a tournament, she's going to be trouble for people. So I think, I think it was a brilliant move. I mean, the Italians probably were thrown off a little bit bit by it and uh, you know I think the proof was in the pudding because Melanie Houdin after losing her spot to Vandeweghe went out and played you know one of the best matches of her you know young career uh, beating uh, Schiavone oh granted Schiavone didn't play that well but I mean so I you know look I mean what do you do when, when you when you got your back against the wall like that you just you just roll the dice yeah, I mean hindsight is twenty twenty. it's hard to say what would have happened Houdin wasn't playing well until this until this event and maybe she was inspired by to play well by being taken out, but you also have to say that Vandeweghe played played the worst of the three players. Maddox Sands played a, at least a good set against Panetta, and Udan played well against Schiavone. So, you know, it was a hard thing to put her in there. It was a little like Pete Sampras in '91 in France when he when he got he got beat in his Davis Cup debut. But um, but at the same time, you know, it didn't work. So. So you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But at this, the other two players did play better than Vandeweghe. Yeah, it's it just it just seemed to me from the start that I guess maybe if you, I don't know what would have been a harder a harder match to put Vandeweghe. I know the draw worked out so that U, that Udan's name was first. So Vandeweghe comes in and leads off the final. I, I don't know if it was if we, you, these things didn't happen. Of course, like Vandeweghe could have came in the second match instead of starting the whole thing. But I thought that was. Not only not the trickiest part was she, for one, hadn't played, and second of all, had to just lead the whole charge, home crowd, 
you know, the uh, the pressure obviously wasn't on the U.S. They were the big underdogs to begin with, but this just but they were at home, and that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, but the other the flip side of that though is yeah, there's a lot of pressure, but you know what? This is an oppor- This is also a tremendous opportunity. It's always like that classic, you know, glass half full, glass half empty thing. You know, yeah, it's a lot of pressure, but it's also a great chance for Vanderway. Vanderway goes out and wins a couple of matches. She's an overnight hero in, in in U.S. and U.S. tennis, and I think you got to do it. Look at and go back to Rafael Nadal. He gets put in against Andy Roddick. Granted, it was at home in Spain. Actually comparable to this situation here because you know we know how much Nadal loves clay there's Roddick and and Nadal playing in a Davis Cup match they were the US USA was was really unprepared for that and Nadal you know played great so I mean you know it's let's test a kid you know you know you don't have to throw him off the deep end the way Sampras was thrown off and and sometimes you know the result of that first tie better or worse doesn't predict anything for the future necessarily but you know it, there's always a chance that the player is going to come up big right I always this is the second year in a row like we mentioned about doubles. I always I always hate that the doubles and the Fed while it's such a big deal in the Davis Cup just is not even a, a factor here. And I think in the in the Fed Cup, that could have I think helped the US a bit, even though Panetta's a, a good doubles player. We had they had Huber in, in waiting. And um the thing about doubles, not only does it sometimes not matter in Fed Cup, when it does matter, it's the whole thing, it's everything there. I think that's too much. Yeah, I, I think it was unfortunate for the US to be in that scenario. But overall, this was a, a result I think we all saw coming. It just it was surprising it wasn't a sweep for one. I think a lot of people pretty much had this written as 3-0 as soon as the the Fridays ma- or Saturday's matches were over with. Udan caught Schiavone, who didn't look like she had any expectation of just walking through that match. So it was you Other know, than it, that it, though, I think I mean I think you have to credit the Italians just too straight. Don't forget, this is two straight Fed Cups for them. They had never been a big power in the Fed Cup before, but uh, it was a big year for for the Italian women in tennis. Panetta finished number one in doubles, and Schiavone won the French Open, and now they have the Fed Cup. So whatever the U.S. did, it was unlikely they were going to beat going to beat the Italians without Serena and Venus in the first place. Definitely, well, exactly. Yeah. You just you know you you roll the dice. I mean, it was the right the right move, I think. Yeah, it was. Uh, and I was thinking back to thinking about this result. It's obviously a tre- nice, a tremendous accomplishment for Italy. Three out of five years, and I think back dynasty. In, yeah, it, it definitely is. But we look back and talk about how the WTA championships in Doha weren't wasn't a very inspiring end to the women's season because of all the injuries. And now you look at this event here, where beside you give Italy their credit, but you see a team that comes against Italy in the final that has to roll out a rookie and has to roll out and looks like they practically have no options no but and they're the finalists they got through somehow these rounds of competition and got to there it doesn't it strikes me as kind of another sort of you know end to a, a very very bleak women's season this year yeah, the only spark for the for the weekend at least from an american perspective was or at least something unexpected that sort of got the put a charge into the place was was Udan. So we'll see what she can whether this has any effect on her going forward. We've talked about this in the past. She's had some decent results and then hasn't really followed it up. But but this was some something where I think she proved at least to herself she should, 
you know, at least thinks like she can come through again on in, in this type of match and beat a really beat a top ten player. She's had a rough year. I mean, you know, uh, you know, it, it's really hard to back up what she did at the U.S. Open in two thousand and nine. So, you know, I watched her play this year at the Open, and she looked terrible. I mean, she basically had no confidence. She was uh, she was you know you know overhitting or 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 kind of holding back and, and really had no flow and no feel. You could see this is a player who's mentally struggling. Maybe this went over Skiavone. Maybe she needs to be, you know, sort of the underdog. She, you know, she seems to thrive on that sort of um, defiant aspect. Maybe when she came in with expectation, she didn't, she didn't know how to handle that. I think she's sure. better than that, though. I really do. I, I think, you know, I, look, I don't think she's necessarily a top 10 player or a top five player, but, you know, but I think, I, I think she's better than that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're tempted to look after this and say, well, every once in a while, she's going to pop up, make a big statement. You know, it's going to keep people talking about her and stuff. But, I, you know, she, she's worked pretty hard from what I can tell. And, um, you know, she's, uh, she's just really been adrift and she's really young and she's got plenty of time to straighten things out and, and just be a real consistent competitor. I mean, I think she's got that in her myself. Shop Tennis Express for the best selection of top brands with expert service at fair prices. The Tennis Express team is available to help you find the right tennis gear. Shop Tennis Express and find out why their customers call them a candy store for tennis players. Call 1-800-833-6615 or log on to www.tennisexpress.com today. The men's matches of the weekend, we had two pretty stacked tournaments at the beginning of the week in Basel and Valencia. In Basel, the the end, the weekend matches were about as good as you could script. It was in terms of uh, the, uh, the quality of players. Uh, both of the matches... Federer, the Federer won. He beats Roddick for the 20th time in his career. More or less what I remember from many previous Roddick-Federer matches. He never gets tired of beating up on Andy, huh? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> There's Andy Roddick. Let me go beat him. <laughs> yeah, he, he takes out Roddick. Um, the last time they met was the Wimbledon, the 16-14 Wimbledon final last year. That match, Roddick had a – he did a lot of damage with all strokes, but particularly his backhand. That definitely was not the case today. He was – didn't even serve well. That was actually his biggest undoing. I watched that match, and and but Federer really had no trouble with the returns or any aspect of the game whatsoever. He beats Roddick and then goes on to beat Djokovic for the second time since they played at the U.S. Open. He beat Djokovic in Shanghai and now Djokovic at the hometown tournament, uh, where which Djokovic was the defending champ of. So all in all, this was a pretty nice week for Roger. Yeah, the one the thing that struck me by the end of the Djokovic match, it wasn't a great match. Neither guy. Both guys had flashes where they played well, and then they suddenly didn't play well. And then Federer pulled it together again in the third, and Djokovic couldn't, didn't, didn't seem to have the energy to, to turn it around again. But the, the main thing that struck me about Federer is you know, there's a lot of talk about his decline. Every, I feel like I'm asked that every day. We know is Federer through. Can he win another Grand Slam? But you know, he, granted, he doesn't win as many of the slams, but there's not much noticeable in his game when I'm watching that, that I can say has declined. He's... He has his moments when he when he starts to miss, but even in in this final, you know, after two or three games, he pulled himself out of that and, and completely turned it around and played well again. I don't notice any anything that's less consistent or or well, he's lost any speed or power. You know, by the time Sampras was twenty nine or thirty, he was noticeably less consistent, at least on his back. Well, that he as as he just ran. But I don't see Federer. I don't see that noticeable decline just from his game. Yeah, I mean, well. To the three the three majors he lost this year, it seems like if you, I mean, Federer, in the U.S. Open he played well, but he definitely ran into the wrong guys at the wrong day, it seemed to be. I mean, we have Burrich at the, Burrich and Wimbledon, who's sortling at the French, and, um, you know, 
Yeah, he won a slam, and he was a point away from being in another slam finals. This guy doesn't have to win any more slams. That's kind of a, you know, that's, I, I know that's the, the thing people are asking. But, you know, he doesn't have anything to prove in, in the grand slams anymore. So, in a way, I think he knows that himself. You know, I mean, that's I, true. I you know, just a little less, unconsciously, a little less motivation now yeah. that he's on his own with 16 slams. I'm right. sure he's happy. To, I'm sure he's happy to win. He probably would love to finish with 20 or 24 or 30 or, or 70. But, no, but he's not chasing anything. No, he's not chasing anything anymore. And, you know, he's. I, I think he's kind of settled into his groove. I think the interesting thing for him now is how many titles he'll end up with because, you know, he's now tied with uh, – he just, I guess, surpassed – yeah. surpassed Sampras. He's got a long way to go to catch Connors with 109. What does Federer have, 65 now? 65. Six, I, don't, six, I don't see any way he he's gets not getting to, the Connors. Yeah. I don't think. That's four plus a year for the next decade. Good luck, Roger. You know, but you know, you know, but it's possible because you know the funny thing about this is nobody's talking about Grant. When they say 109 titles, I mean 109 titles. You know, who knows where the ATP Tour in two years may say, well, let's let's do these eight-man tournaments somewhere, and they're going to be official tournaments. Right. Just right. like Connors, you know, really feasted early in his career on these USTA circuit tournaments. Everybody was playing World Championship tennis on the big tour. Arthur Ashe, Rod Laver, John Newcomb, Stan Smith, all those guys. And they were all making fun of Connors because he kept, you know, being yeah. Francois Geoffrey. It's a little inflated, right? That 109. Exactly, but you know, but but everyone's is to some degree or other. The, those things come into it. There are probably a couple of matches that today would be called exhibition matches that are counted in in, in Connors' title hall. Federer, so, you know, yeah, he he's got a good chance to bookend the year with two big results. He wins Australia this week. He plays Paris, and Nadal's not in. He, Nadal's out with a shoulder injury, um, and then. See whatever that bodes, I guess, for the the world, the final in London, and he's had obviously had winning record. He's had Djokovic's number lately. I suppose the big guy you can run to there is Murray with Murray with the London thing. But Roger could end the year on a pretty a fairly high note with a couple tournament wins. Looking, looking forward to seeing Murray and Federer in London again. They had a pretty you know hard fought match there last year. Federer beat him, and that sort of turned a table I think between them. And Federer went on to beat him at the Australian Open as well. But I think Murray. Would come into this tournament you know, looking looking to turn that back around because he's just beaten beaten Roger in Shanghai. So here we go now, Murray expectations. <laughs> yeah, they're back. <laughs> it's, it's every back couple on, of months. Back on the Murray go around. Can Murray win this one? Can he win that one? It's funny. He, you know, another funny thing about Connors is that you know people forget. All right, he's got 109 titles. You look at you know Roger Federer, pretty much a consensus greatest of all time. Yeah, Connors. Connors has got 109 titles. He's way way ahead, and you know he played. He he won a match at the U.S. Open on his 40th birthday, and Yet he, he spent a good second portion of his career being being beat up by in succession Bjornborg, John McEnroe, yeah. Von Lendl. So like a little bit like wow, imagine if those guys weren't around. And you know, but there's a lesson for that I think in Roger. I mean, it, Roger should not get dispirited if he loses the next four Grand Slam yeah, tournaments in a Jimmy row. Jimmy kept going, and and I think Feder, you know, Feder is not exactly like Jimmy Connors, but he seems to enjoy the competition in a in a similar way. He doesn't seem he doesn't seem you know Agassi seemed. And Sampras a little tired of the grind after a certain point, but I don't sense that in Federer. But even with Sampras, we're talking about losing a few slams and not getting discouraged. That's what Sampras precisely did before he won his last one. He was on a bit of a draw himself, and then took the last one and then called it quits. So, so I think it, got out of town. Yeah, I, I, I think any as long as Federer is in the draw, it's you know it's he's not going to be the favorite all the time. But he's you're certainly not going to write off his chances of just coming through and just being his week there at a slam. Yeah, let's give him Basel every year. Let's give him Halle. Let's give him Stockholm. Yeah, Stockholm Open. You know mm-hmm. uh, those and you know maybe maybe an Indian Wells or <laughs> Miami thrown in here once. Yeah. That's all he's got to do. Plays yeah. for another ten years. Which <laughs> that's the big thing to me is the window. It's not so much a number of titles, but you got to figure for ten years he's got to win four 
four tournaments a year. And I could see I could see tournaments where he could potentially pull it up. The question is, is he going to be out there swinging a racket at 39? Uh, I it, that I don't that, see. That, I, I agree with Steve on that. <laughs> Too much one. money. Never say yeah. never. Yeah. <laughs> Murray, when you mentioned him, he was in, we'll just touch on Valencia. Uh, Steve, you're writing about both the, the two Valencia and Basel finals. Say Murray was in that, took a first-round exit. But uh, that tournament ended up going to Ferrer, a uh, guy who kind of always oh, pegs, put pegs, me to sleep. Pegs a tournament, uh, tournament or three around this time of year. It seems to be. Yeah, he's he's looking to get into London. But actually, I watched that final and I thought it was an entertaining match. I lost, watched the semis in the final. There, and he he played who in the semis? Grenolier in the final. Uh, the granola bars. And he beat Soderling. To... He beat Soderling in the semis, and you know it doesn't sound like a, exciting matches, but the. The, the court in Valencia was quick, and it made it made those guys play a lot of all-court tennis. And it just sort of made me feel like we talked about speeding up the courts in general. It would bring back serve and volley. It might not do that, but it would at least bring back a certain all-court element. Ferrer showed a lot more – was able to show a lot more to his game, I thought, than he normally gets to show. Wait a minute. Are we, Pete, use, are we, using, the words, are we using the words exciting and David Ferrer yes. in the same sentence? <laughs> yes. you got to look closely, but <laughs> but I enjoyed I, – I thought it was – a you know. That that tournament, maybe because of the court surface or whatever, it was or the the points in the play was was entertaining and different from what you you see a lot of the time. I like watching a guy play. I mean, you know, it's he's got kind of a real nice classic sort of game, I think, and he moves real well and stuff. So it is it is fun watching him play. I just wish he wouldn't fold up like a cheap pocket knife when it comes to like yeah. you know when it really it matters. In the slams. Exactly. All right, uh, that's this week this review of the last weekend, and we'll touch on later in the week. Probably touch on Paris or some questions. Send them to podcast at tennis.com. I know we got, we did get a reply about the coaching as a topic of discussion. Yeah, we need more questions. Come on, folks, man up here. Yeah, so podcast at tennis.com for any queries you have uh, about anything, even Sam Query. Anything at all. Even Sam Query, who's got four titles just like Roger Federer. Yeah, that's amazing to me. He has the second most uh, titles of anyone besides Nadal. And he, he was, he had all, he has those titles and he was. Has no ch- had no chance of reaching the tour final as of like a he week or two ago. I don't think, he made, I don't think he, he made the semi of a Masters series, did he? No, no, he didn't Strange do that. He, and they were all 250 or 500s. Of, I think only one was. A, he also reached a final in addition to those four titles, but just, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to cut it anymore, I guess. Yeah, if you can't eat steak, you eat pizza, but you got to put something in your belly, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Tennis.com podcast, presented by Tennis Express, the tennis industry's retailer of the year. For more news and information, head over to Tennis.com. Thanks for listening.